0: Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and thank you for allowing me to come to your home. We're starting back services this weekend. 10% capacity. I know it was announced, 30. Uh, I know there's some confusion because they're still saying Quezon City is 30. Whatever the local thing is, we will follow, all right? So if we're at 10% at Maine and 30% at um, North, that will be great, but we will... We will muddle our way through, as they say, and we will find our way through, but we will stick within the laws and do things right. We're looking forward to seeing you in services. Now, you need to be in church, but you need to do it safely. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But one of the great principles of safety in life is to not be afraid. Job said, what I feared has come upon me. Fear attracts all of this stuff. So you and I, if we're we're going to walk in safety, yes we should wear the mask but one of the main things we should do is know our god and when you know god you're not afraid you know his promises you're not afraid so i I know the media wants to make everybody afraid And forgive me, some of you are probably spending too much time online, and you're probably spending too much time on Facebook, and you're probably spending too much time watching D-Z-R-H. And even when they say it, it makes your heart skip a few beats, okay? You probably need to spend a little bit more time, and I don't say this critically, but just we need to spend a little bit more time in the Word. We need to dwell in Him, in Jesus' name. So let us remember one of his great and precious promises. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For I will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness, his faithfulness, not ours, not what we have done, his faithfulness. Remember, even when we're faithless, the Bible says he's faithful. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. My brothers and sisters, I understand. These are very strange days. I Never in my life did I imagine days like this. Never in my life did I imagine that nations all around the world would be locked down by their governments for fear of a virus. It's never happened before in human history. Not with polio, not not even with the black plague of the 1600s. You say, well, we know a lot more now. Yeah, we do, but evidently we don't know enough because we're still locked down. My friends, and I don't say this critically, but please just hear my heart. All over the world, people are telling you to trust the science, to believe in science. What does the science say? But have you noticed for the last six months how wrong it has been? Now, I'm not saying to be anti-science. You know me better than that. I, science is a hobby of mine. I read Scientific American magazines, all right? But you also have to understand that I don't trust science. I trust God. I don't trust God the mask. I trust God. I don't trust the shield. I trust God. Ah, you see, there's a little subtle change there. Okay, I accept the science. I accept these facts that they say. The facts keep changing, it seems, but I, I accept what they say. But I also believe that there is a God who has made great, and precious promises to you. It's, this is going to end and it will end well with you. You're gonna be farther ahead, not farther behind. God is gonna give us a great end time harvest. I'm looking forward to a whole new generation of young men and young women who are gonna rise up, build churches all across our nation. I'm looking forward to a whole new generation of people that in this lockdown they will understand what's really important that they will look around at business and they will look around at their life prior to this and they will recognize how shallow it was, that only what is done for Christ would last. You see folks, in order to have great revival, there have to be laborers going to the harvest field. I'm looking forward to you beginning to step more into the harvest field. Father, I come to you today Lord, we are looking forward to this thing being over. There is no question about it. And we're tired of the confusion and we're frustrated with the confusion. But Father, we come in Jesus' name because you said in your word that all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Father, let this thing result in blessing. It will always end in praise, Lord. We sing it. Let us see it lived out in front of us. Let a whole new generation of young people see it lived out in front of them. The sovereign authority of God, the sovereign power of God, stepping in and turning everything that was meant for evil into good. Father, I pray. Oh, Father, for laborers into the harvest field. We thank you for the opportunity of seven new churches that we're going to open. Lord, we ask you for 200 new churches to open. And then when we finish with that, Lord, expand our vision to 2,000. But it'll have to be because you speak to us. Father, in Jesus' name, raise up a whole new generation of people that look upon the things of this earth as meaningless and see that only what we do for you will last. Father, we ask for a whole new generation of Peters and Pauls and Thomases, Bartholomews and Matthews. (laughs) even the Matthews, Lord, even corrupt government officials, Lord, that walk away and follow Jesus and become great preachers of the gospel. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for laborers for the harvest field. The harvest field of our nation is so ripe, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, bring us laborers, Father. Bring us laborers, Father. Not just who want to go to the cities, Lord, but men and women who are called to the provinces. They're like Paul that will go in and build churches where there are no churches. They're like Paul that don't ever want to even preach the gospel that, that, that look out as there's no room for them because their ministry is to the lost. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, raise up a whole new generation. I thank you for it, Father. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship. I give- testament passage today picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 beginning with verse 24. And have you noticed sometimes I forget to click it on in the 1 Corinthians part. So let me just click it on right away. All right. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, brothers and sisters, this this is a race. This life, Christian life, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Now, I listen to some of these guys, like Pastor Ophel's husband, who he goes out and he he thinks it's really fun to take a 60-kilometer run. (laughs) <laughs> when he tells me things like that, I said, You know, God created cars for things like this. You know, you can get in a car and be there in a few minutes. But Christian life is a marathon. And he said, All the Christians compete, everybody starts the marathon. Okay? Everybody starts. But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain. It, the prize. You, you should never just run to finish. <laughs> never run to finish. Never run to just get into heaven. Lord, I just want to sneak in. I don't want to sneak into heaven. <laughs> run, run to come first. He said, now every athlete, and and I just had to stay away from that. We'll we'll preach on that months from now. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. Now this wreath is at the Bema seat. This is the place of rewards. This is after the rapture, at some point prior to during the Great Tribulation, prior to the second coming of Jesus, all right? This is a perishable wreath. Uh, in the ancient days, the runners would go to the Bema seat or the judgment seat, and the victor's crown, the wreath of, of, of leaves would be placed upon their head. He said, we we'd do this to receive an imperishable wreath, the victor's crown. But now, back up to the word self-control. You know, a lot of Christians today, they want to live in grace, but they don't want to exercise self-control. We'll get more into that in the... Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday services. Uh, self-control. Say those words again. Self. In, in other words, you're in control of yourself. Not sin. Not peer pressure. Not de- not Satan. Not barcada. not culture, you're in control of yourself. You're making your own decisions in life. Now this is important. He said, so I do not run aimlessly. He said, I have a goal. There's a finish line. I did not box as one beating the air. That's wasted energy. He said, I'm not running around just shadow boxing in the air. He said, okay, every effort Every effort has purpose. Now, whether it's every step or every punch, everything has purpose. Everything you do in life should keep in mind your goal of heaven. Everything you do in life should keep in mind the purpose that God has for your life. Remember, we don't go to heaven until we fulfill our purpose in our generation. That's what the Bible says about King David. So everything you do in life, people always get upset with me because they say, Pastor Samarit, you don't have a life. And they've said that about me since I got saved, all right? People have always said that about me. You know, you don't, I've never been to the beautiful underground river in Palawan. I've never been to the rivers in wherever. I mean, I've never been to the chocolate hills of Bahol. You know, I'm the kind of a guy that just works. And people say, you need to have a life. And one of my friends keeps telling me, you need to enjoy the journey. But I don't run aimlessly. I, I don't beat the air. I've understood I've only got this much time in life. I wasted the first part of my life before salvation. I'm not like some of you young people that grew up in church. You're so blessed. I recognize there are things that God has me to do. There are goals that God has me to accomplish. There are purposes that God has for me to fulfill. So you're you're right. People say you don't have a life. I think I have a wonderful life. My life is not full of entertainment and and tourism and, you know, my life is full of the gospel. I do not think that that is being bad. I look at that as being focused. And that's what Paul is saying here. And I would challenge each of you, please, only what we do for Christ will last. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be talking about, you know, have you seen this? Have you seen that? You know, did did you go to this mall? Oh, did you ever eat there? You're not going to be talking about that when you get to heaven. This life is so short, beloved, please. This life is so short. He said, but I discipline my body, not somebody else's. I keep my body under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified. Paul said, I'm not going to not make it into heaven because of a lack of discipline a lack of self-control. He said, I, I'm not going to let myself go. Yeah, now, young pastors, listen to me. You have to learn at a very young age to discipline the desires of your body. You have to learn to keep your body under control. Now, notice that it doesn't say soul. It says your body, physical desires. You have to learn to discipline your body. You have to learn to keep your body under self-control. He said, otherwise, after preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified. He said, I don't want to be disqualified. I want to go to heaven. Now he continues. Chapter 10, verse 1. I want you to know, brothers, that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So, all right. Uh, Paul said, listen, Israel... He said, Israel was water baptized in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. That's the manna. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Now, that is just a monstrous concept. Okay, this is, this is huge. They drank from the rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, this is the reason. This is the reason. If any of you know how to fix this, I'm doing a little crowdsourcing here. For some reason, on this one, I have an ice, I have a, a surface studio at the house and a surface studio at the office. The office one works perfect, but the new one, the, the the newer one, yeah, no, this is the older one. The older one, it doesn't work as well. the The, the pin's giving me trouble. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. This is the reason you were to strike and then speak. This is the reason Moses got in trouble when he struck the rock the second time. Jesus was only going to die once. And it's interesting that rock followed them. This was a moving rock. (laughs) The the rock followed them. Can you imagine a moving rock following them around? And that rock is where they got their water. That's just absolutely amazing to me. Verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For, we know this, okay, so because... They were overthrown in the wilderness, so we know. Okay. Now, I want you to notice that God not God was not pleased. But he still fed them. He still gave them water. He still gave them clothes. Well, their clothes did not wear out and their shoes did not wear out. In other words, God provided. God provided for these people, even though he was not pleased with them. Now, now, this is the truth that you need to get a hold of, brothers and sisters. God's provision in your life is not a proof of God's acceptance of your lifestyle. God's provision in your life is not acceptance of, God's, of your foolish doctrines that God does not approve of. You, you just had to get a hold of the fact that God provides because He's faithful, even when we're faithless. He's faithful. So please, I, I would really challenge you today. Don't don't think that well. You know, I can keep on with my adultery. I can keep on with these other sins. You know, because God's still providing, so it must be okay. No, no provision has nothing to do with pleasure, provision, and pleased. Are different subjects. Remember, God is good. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So, for 40 years, for 40 years, these people desired evil. I mean, grab, I mean, just, uh. He said, I don't, I don't want you to be these things. He said, these, these things took these were examples. So that you'll look and go, listen, we don't want to be like that. You know, there are lessons that we learn from the negative. You know, we see people doing things, and we go, you know what? I don't want to be like that. Okay? I don't want to be like that. So we, we come along and we go, you know what, I, I'm gonna live my life in a way. That is not like those people. Now, again, you don't like that, but sometimes you look at things and you see things and you see very negative things occurring and you go, I'm not going to be like that. He said, don't be idolaters as some of them were. Now, notice not all, some. Even up here, most of them, God was not pleased. We know that with uh, Joshua and Caleb, God was pleased. But now, some were idolaters, as it is written, the people sat down to ink eat, drink, and rose up to play. (laughs) They were not productive people. These were not productive people. They ate, they drank, and they rose up to play. These are not productive people. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Now notice, this is Christ before the Incarnation. So these people put not just the Father, they put Christ to the test. Nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the Destroyer. Now these things happen to them, as an example, but they are written down for our instruction. Now, straight talk, any time a preacher tells you, don't read the Old Testament, go to a different church. I know it's gotten very popular for preachers to say it these days, we don't need to read the Old Testament, but these things were written down for our, our, our instruction. These are Paul's words to us. So if a preacher tells you, don't read the Old Testament, go to a different church. Whom the end of the ages has come. So these, this is, <laughs> these are the people say, Pastor, are we living in the end times? Yes, but we've been living in the end times for two thousand years. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now we've already talked about that. No temptation has overtaken you. None. Overtaken. That is not common demand. So sometimes temptation in the race in this race of life sometimes temptation outruns you and you're busy chasing after Jesus and the temptation overtakes you like a runner overtaking another runner but he said nothing is happening that isn't common to everybody so he said listen no victim mentality no victim mentality this is everybody has this he said but in the time of temptation this is the focus God is faithful. The focus in a time of temptation is not your discipline. The focus in the time of temptation is not your spiritual stamina. The focus in your time of temptation is the faithfulness of God. Now notice, he will not let limits. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. The limits are defined by your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide. Satan brings the temptation. God provides the way of escape. That purpose, you may be able to endure it. So basically, the picture is like this. We're running the race of life. A temptation chases up behind us and overtakes us. God said, listen, don't worry about that. I'm faithful. Now, temptation is a... T-H-I-L-B-O. It means pressure in the Greek. This pressure jumps on top of you as you're running the race of life. And he says, listen, don't worry about this. He said, you can handle this. Now, he said, let me tell you, make you a promise. Before this thing gets too much for you, I will open an escape hatch. Trust in my faithfulness. Trust in my faithfulness. I will open an escape hatch. Maybe it'll be a phone ringing. Maybe it'll be somebody walking into the room. Maybe it will be some type of an interruption. Sometimes I call these God's interruptions. God will interrupt temptation and make a way of escape. Trust his faithfulness in this. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people who of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. Now notice, participation, participation participants, partake. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? Of course not. No, I imply that what pagans offer, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. He said you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Notice, partake, drink. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Now, Paul just he gets in the face of these people who live in Corinth with this rampant idolatry all around them, uh, sexual immorality, because they had been raised in Corinth to believe that the act of sex was an act of worship of Aphrodite, who had her temple overlooking their city and. Her prostitutes would come through the city every evening to have sex with men as an act of worship. He said, listen, you, you can't participate in this stuff because you participate in communion. Now, now, brothers and sisters, this is why I don't have idols in my house. I, I just, no, they're not gonna be here because I am a participator in communion. Ah, okay. Let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
1: Keep my we yeah. yeah.
0: Let's get into Job chapter 32, verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job. His three friends, okay, his three peers. His three peers, his three friends. Because he was righteous in his own eyes. Okay, they stopped answering because... He said, listen, I'm not going to agree with you. I, I have not done anything wrong. And remember, chapter 1 and 2, God said, he's blameless. Then Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. ha, <laughs> ha. No, so in other words, there are people who really get mad at you. There are people who, when they look at your life, they get mad. Because he, quote, unrepentant. But he had nothing to repent of. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends. Because they found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong, all right? So no facts, just opinions. Let's just call it just circumstantial opinions. They saw the circumstances and therefore in their opinion Job had sinned. Now Elihu waited to speak to Job because they were older than he, all right? We understand that. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these men, he burned with anger. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered, I am young in years and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. He said, I was was afraid to share my opinion to you. Notice the word opinion. Not facts. Opinion. I said, let days speak and let many years teach wisdom, but it is the breath, it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand, all right? It's the Holy Spirit who makes a man understand. It is not the old who are wise or the aged who understand, okay? He said, so the Holy Spirit is better than age. Therefore, I say, listen to me. Let me also declare my opinion, not facts. Behold, I waited for your words, I listened for your wise sayings while you searched out what to say. I gave you my attention. Behold, there was none of you who refuted Job or who answered his words. They were not good debaters. Now, you know, saying that sounds really nice, but you also have to understand they had no facts. They had no facts to use. They were just spouting opinions like this guy is about to do. Beware lest you say we have found wisdom. God may vanquish him, not a man. He has not directed his words against me, and I will not answer him with your speeches. They are dismayed. They answer no more. They have not a word to say. And shall I wake because they do not speak, because they stand there and answer no one? I will also answer with my share, and I will also declare my opinion, for I am full of words. The spirit within me constrains me. Okay, now we're going to, let's sound spiritual. (laughs) But he said, I'm full of words. But again, notice it's always opinion, not facts. Behold, my belly is like wine that has no vent, like wineskins ready to burst. In other words, as that it ferments, the gas is given off. I must speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. He said, I am about to burst. He said, I'm about to burst. Now, let me give you a little hint, brothers and sisters. When you're about to burst, shut up. <laughs> Please, I have learned this lesson in blood. I will not show partiality to any man or use flattery toward any person. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. Behold now, Job, hear my word, listen to my words. Behold, I open my mouth and the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart and what my lips know they speak sincerely. He He says, all right. He said, I'm right. And he said, I'm sincere. Now, the question is, is he right? No. Is he sincere? Maybe. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I, too, am pinched off from a piece of clay. (laughs) Okay. We all recognize we came from dirt. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy on you. Surely you have spoken in my ears, and I have heard the sound of your words. You say, I am pure, without transgression, I am clean, and there is no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasion against me and counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in stocks and watches all my path. Okay, so he said, listen, no sin, he said, this is what you say, no sin, God's wrong. He said, now that's what you said. Now, God would agree with this, but God does not agree with this. God never counted Job as his enemy. Not true. So Job, you've said this. So part of what he says is okay, part of what he says is not okay. See, said, Now, Job, behold, in this you are not right. Well, partially right. Let's call this half-half. Why do you contend against him, against God, saying he will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream... In a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings. Really? That he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps his soul, keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also rebuked with the pain on his bed and with the continual strife in his bones. Not true so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. God doesn't rebuke us with sickness and disease. Jesus is our healer. His flesh is also wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draw nears the pit and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of a thousand, to declare to man what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, Deliver him from going down to the pit, I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become flesh with youth. Let him return to his days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God. He accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy. And he restores to man his righteousness. He restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I have sinned and perverted what is right, and it has not repaid me. He has redeemed my soul from going down to the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. Behold, God does all these things, twice, three times with a man, to bring his soul from the pit, that he may be lighted with the light of life. Pay attention, Job. Listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. If you have words, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. Now, again, notice how he says good things about God, but he has no concept that God said that Job was blameless. Chapter 34. Then Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men, and give ear to me, you who know. For ears test words as palate tastes food. Let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am right, and God has taken away my right. Uh, Maybe. Okay. In spite of my right, I am counted as a liar. My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. Now, Job says, again, bitterness of his heart, but you know what? God never called Job a liar. The people did. His friends did, but not, not God. What man is like Job, who drinks up scoffing like water, who travels in company with evildoers and walks with wicked men? For he has said, it profits man nothing that he should delight in God. Therefore hear me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. Okay, notice, they speak well of God. They just don't understand the reality of the devil. And maybe that's a problem with people today, too. They don't see the devil as real. So they blame God for everything. For according to the work of a man, he will repay him. According to his ways, he will make it befall him. Um, Half-half. Okay? Uh, You've got to remember there is a devil. Of a truth God will not do wickedly, and God will not perverse justice. True. Who gave him charge over earth and who laid on him the whole world? If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. If you have understanding, hear this, listen to what I say. Shall one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is righteous and mighty? Who says to the king worthless ones and to nobles wicked men, who shows no partiality to princes nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die. At midnight the people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away by no human hand, for his eyes are on the ways of man; he sees all his steps. Now, a lot of this is very, very true. They, they did have an understanding of, of a lot of good things about God. There is no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. There is no need to consider a man further, that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others in their place. Thus, knowing their works, he overturns them in the night and they are crushed. He strikes them for their wickedness in a place for all to see. Now, that's what he's accusing Job of here. Because they turned aside from following him. With no regard to his ways, Job did not. God said he's blameless in all his ways. So they caused the cry of the poor to come to him and heard the cry of the afflicted. When he is quiet, who will condemn? When he hides his face, who can behold him? Whether it be a nation or a man, that a godless man should not reign, that he should not ensnare the people. For as anyone said to God, I have borne punishment, I will not offend any more." Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. Will he then make repayment to suit you because you reject it? For you must choose and not I. Therefore declare what you know. Job's men of understanding will say to me, the wise man who hears me will say, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without insight. Would the Job were tried to the end because he answers like wicked men. He adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. Now, this is partly true, okay? This is not true. He answers like wicked men? No. He answers like a hurt man. Is Job in rebellion? No. Does he multiply his words against God? Yeah, half-half. Job has gotten a lot of bitterness in his heart. He's got a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of grief plus all of the words of these people that have come against him. So, yes, some of this is is partly true. Now, the reason I keep talking about the half-half and the partly true is this. There are times when Satan sifts you like wheat. Now, hear me carefully now. There are times when Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, like Peter. There are times that Satan has attacked your life just like Job. And it's really easy for people to sit back and cluck their tongues like chickens and say wonderful things about God and really trash you. But sometimes you have to admit that in the bitterness of your heart, you have said some things that weren't right about God. In the hurt and the pain, the grief and the suffering, plus all the condemnation that has come against you, maybe some of your words have not been right. There are times that each of us has to come before God and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. My words, my words weren't right. You are good and your mercy endures forever. And I think if you've lived a few years, you come to a place where you understand this and you're, you learn to put a hand over your mouth. When your heart hurts, when you're in pain, when you're full of grief, when you've been badgered by the condemners, You just learn to shut your mouth and say, Lord, and I've come before God sometimes saying, Lord, my heart is mogulo. There's just so much, Lord, and I don't want to say anything wrong. So I'm just going to sit here and sing to you, Lord. I'm not going to pray this morning. I'm going to sing because I don't want anything to come out of my mouth, Lord, that's not right. I don't want Words to be full of bitterness and words to be full of hurt and pain. I want my words to be good about you, Lord, because you're good and your mercy endures forever. So some of you, forgive me. Maybe you need to and just decide to sing and let God heal your heart. All right. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.